Hey guys, Dan here. I want to say a massive thank you to our new sponsors, Fight Fuel UK. Fight Fuel UK are a sports supplement and clothing company for the boxing, MMA, and martial arts community. Be sure to check out their great products on fightfuel.co.uk. And remember, guys, by supporting our sponsors, you support the podcast. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy this episode. If you're ready, I'm ready. Yeah, all good, buddy. Cool. So here we are with Mr. Bag and Tag himself, Mr. Nathan Jones. How you doing, my friend? How's lockdown treating you? I'm doing very well. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, lockdown, what can I say? What can I say? Is, uh, I'm out of routine, out of sync, but, you know, um, it could always be worse is my motto in life. So uh, at the moment, I'm smiling. I'm still here and uh, taking a day at a time. Well, this is it. You need that kind of like positive attitude with all this kind of stuff, especially when it comes to this sort of like a big abrupt change. I mean, the lockdown trim's looking all right as well. You know, you're holding out all right. You haven't resorted to shaving the whole thing off just yet. So, happy days. You know what it is, yeah? I just had a shower, so it's all like nice and tight at the moment. But normally it's like out here and there. And <laughs> But you know what? Whatever, man. <laughs> so got to stay fresh to the podcast. It's all good. So, regards to your like training at the minute, then how are you like finding everything? Because obviously, you fought on the behind the scenes, say behind behind closed doors, like card, the one against Bear. I can't think what his full name is, is something Bear or whatever it was. I remember watching it, it was just a strange name, strange bloke. David Bear, that's the one, that's the one, yeah, David Bear. But he was he was French, so I don't know how he pronounced it, David, yeah, something like that. I don't know, but David Bear. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, but no, um, that was a tough fight, and yeah, man. Um, literally after that fight, uh, two days later we went into lockdown. So um, that was probably out of all my fights, the worst uh, fight week I've ever ever had in my life. You know, um, just the uncertainty of it all. But oh well. Could always be worse. Hey, eh? there we go. A little, little throwback there. Um, but that's, that's an interesting part as well. So, what was your experience with that anyway? So, your camp leading up, did you have David Bear the whole time, or is it sort of mixing them out? Or is it how was that camp like? From start yeah. To so um, initially, I was due to fight Hack and Foss um, mm. on the card. So I don't know. About five weeks, I was preparing for Hack and Foss, and then five weeks out from the fight, um, it, was, it was David Bear. You know. Um, they had given me a few other opponents, but on paper, it, it, they, they weren't even fights. Either I was uh, too experienced or stylistically, it wasn't good for me. It wasn't a good fight, you know? So David Bear fitted the bill. He's a tough fighter, um, credible fighter at that. And on paper, it, it was a good scrap and I had a good scrap, you know? I didn't come away with the goods, but um, it is what it is. I mean, with uh, the whole fight week and stuff, um, so I, there was so much uncertainty because we were going into lockdown um, and, and all Europe was, was, was shutting the borders down at like different parts. So I didn't know if David Bell was going to get into the country. And then I didn't know if he was good, if he was able to get in the country, if he was able to get out of the country, because, you know, like I'm saying, all the borders were shutting down. I think he got into the, he got on the Eurostar like an hour before they closed, they closed the borders, you know, like literally it was that fine. And then, and then with that, they must have like changed their train or, or whatever they did. But I didn't know any of this. I didn't know if the fight was on or not. You know, it was just like, right, cut the weight. And I'm like, oh, you know, um, Cage Warriors, they gave me a choice to to pull out. Well, not so much 
to pull out. They gave us all, they gave the fighters all a choice, you know, because the show was supposed to be in the O2. Mm. I'd sold like 80 mm. tickets. And then, you know, then there was a closed event. I'm like, okay, cool. Then, then they moved the show up to Manchester. They're like, look, guys, don't have to fight. And for me, I didn't, not that I didn't want to fight. It was just like, well, what's the point? I'm not even getting paid that much money. It's too much stress, like whatever. But I've, I've trained for it. I've put so much work in. All my team have put the work in. And so is, you know, David and his his team, you know. So for the fact of him turning up to fight, I was like, I have to fight. I'm, I, I owe it as a sportsman, as a professional athlete to, to Cage Warriors, to my opponent and to the fans. Like, the supporters out there, I had to, had to fight and, and I did. And, you know, it was a scrap and I came out unscathed. So touch wood. You know, it was all it was all good. There's so much in that, like <laughs> the opponent changing itself. You take Hack and Foss sort of long and range, and you get Dave Bear, who's pretty much you know he's gonna give you bear hugs and try and grapple you as well. I mean, it's a bit of a polar opposite. Hey, polar bear, that's another one. So it would make yeah. Um, but, um, regardless, <laughs> like your weight but you know what? Gone. Yeah, I mean, it, it could. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, yeah, it is what it is. Like, we're, we're all pros here and everyone's got their own, own skill sets. And the way I see it, it's about me as a fighter, what I'm going to bring to the table, what I can do. So it was, it didn't really matter. It was just that I needed a good opponent, um, one that was was worthy um, to, to throw down with. And also, if I was to win, it's a good win. If I was to lose, it's not a bad loss. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, so uh, I took it like that. I mean, it's certainly important. I think there's a bit of a delay, so I've got to give a bit of space between the answers. But yeah, when it comes to, I think a lot of it comes down to the quality of performance than it is the end result. Because again, if you just get, I don't know, some journeyman and you get another win in your record, you would feel empty. Whereas if you have a proper war, regardless of the outcome, it's very much like, you know what? I've earned my stripes in this. It doesn't matter what the thing is. So when it came to the weight cut itself, obviously with the whole apprehension, what was that like managing that? How did you feel with that kind of process? <laughs> All right, first and foremost, yeah, I hate cutting weight. Every fight out there hates cutting weight. The way we look at it is we fight for free, but we get paid to make the weight. That's the obligation that we have to uh, fulfill, and that's the uncomfortable part. So we get paid to make the weight. So I knew I had to make the weight. If I'm fighting, I'm making the weight. You know, um, I've I've had 23 pro MMA fights now, so I'm 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 used to making the way. I've got it down to a T, so I know how it feels. Albeit it's uncomfortable, albeit I don't like doing it, but it's got it's got to be done. So uh, that the whole process in itself wasn't bad. It was just unpleasant drinking like a ton tons of water. So I water load. Um, so from like fight week. A water load, I'll do six, eight, ten litres and then nil by mouth and then cut that weight. You know, um, yeah. You know, I can talk about it now, but I mean, when you're doing it, it's just so unpleasant. And, you know, mood swings here, mood swings there. You know, I feel weak. and But, yeah, I still got to train at, like, at maximum capacity. You know, um, yeah, so it, it wasn't pleasant. But I did it. I made weight. You know, as I always do. So that was not a problem. David Bear made weight as well. So the fight was on and yeah, it was good, man. Again, there's again so much in that. And when you were saying at the start and a couple of mentions about things could always always be worse, you talk about how much of a struggle the weight cut is. 
And again, you sort of accept that as sort of a given thing of, okay, if I'm going to fight, I've got to cut weight. Now, your motivation doing that, are you someone who needs a lot of like positive reinforcement? Is it something you just sort of grit your teeth and get on with it? Do you embrace the sort of grind element of it? How do you deal with that weight cutting kind of mentality as such? To be fair, um, when like as I got into MMA, it was the done thing, the accepted thing. And for me, cutting weight isn't so I can get an advantage to be the bigger, stronger person, which is how weight cutting came about. Mm. For me, I have to cut the weight to, to uh, nullify the advantage so I can be competing against somebody my size, you know. Um, otherwise, if I was to, to fight middleweight, which my first my first fight was at middleweight, but, you know the guy's that much bigger than me or that much um, more dense than me, you know. Um, and it's a, it's a long day, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I want to fight somebody my size who walks around the same weight as me, you know. So I take that advantage out of it, so it's an even playing field. That's my theory behind it, and it's just an accepted thing now. Um, weight cuttings become more and more, um, more and more scrutinized. You know, people uh, or other promotions aren't uh, cutting weight, or they add more weight classes. They're putting more um, uh, restrictions, like you can't, um, you can't do an IV, this and that, or they'll check your weight before so many days before, whatever. You know, so um, that weight cutting as a process is a lot more scrutinized and you know um that's one of the reasons why i like to compete in other competitions uh, sorry uh, competitions like with jiu-jitsu and kickboxing because they weigh you and then literally 10 minutes later you're fighting you know so um yeah it is what it is Again, there's so much in there, and it's really interesting the fact you sort of highlight the sort of jujitsu kind of you know you weigh in, get in the bullpen, and get on the mats in like half an hour, whatever it is. If that sort of regards of the weight cutting for that sort of non-existent, you kind of have to do the boxing standard of like you know gradual diet and then just sort of fight either miserable or well fed or whatever. That's always a bit of a funny one. But the way you yeah. answered the main question yeah. was really interesting because I was asking more of a case of how, not so much the why, because the why of being to be at a level playing field is sort of a given. But my question was more around how you keep yourself motivated and keep yourself on that kind of level-headed thing. Because again, it's a very demoralizing process, especially for a lot of people to then have to have their chicken and their salad and then have the water, thinking they see that big two-liter bottle with the marks and think, okay, I've had three more of these and I can actually, you know, oh, I need to piss again. Like, what's your kind of, yeah. how do you get through it as such? What, how do you, Nathan Jones, Mr. Bag and Tag, deal with the weight-cutting Ball like, um, well, in a simple answer, pizza, wine, cheesecake. Which order? You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> in that order, and that's you know what I mean. Like, I, I enjoy my life. Yeah, I love my food. Um, if I didn't, I don't have to wake up, but then I have to diet and be strict and not have these little treats here and there. So it's a fair trade for me. Oh, I can enjoy this or I can have a little bit a uh, bigger portion here um, as more of a morale booster just to keep me me, me going, you know. Um, and I would much rather have a little chocolate bar here or have um, an extra sugar with my tea, whatever it is, just so I've got a little bit of a, a perk and a boost and then I'll cut it out, I'll, I'll cut the weight and I'll sort it out, you know, uh, when I need to, which would be, what, three weeks, 
two weeks out from the fight, you know. So in that sense, it's a, it's a, it's a juggling act and it's a lesser of two evils. You know, I can sacrifice my diet and um, the, the strict, stringent um, intake, calorie intake that I have to do, you know, for two, three weeks. So I can have, you know, the rest eight weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it is, a bit more relaxed, um, morale boost and diet that that will still allow me to train and uh, train at full capacity, you know? So uh, it's just, it's just a given, you know, I, I knew when I signed up to do MMA, uh, signed up to fight professionally, that weight cutting was an issue, you know? So um, it's not, I've just accepted it. It's not really been a major thing. Um, I mean, if, if I was getting paid some real big bucks, then I'll go down to lightweight, you know, but <laughs> I ain't get paid that much. So, you know what I mean? Um, we'll say it well up. And again, with that whole way you've answered that is really interesting and mainly the point of that kind of relationship with food. And when it comes to that weight cutting aspect out from the outside perspective, a lot of it comes down to the idea of clean and bad foods and, you know, I can't have this, this is a treat and the way you kind of balance that is important. I think the way you've described how you have your treats in relative portions to keep you going and then you don't treat it as that kind of, oh no, sugar is evil, I can't have that, the case of, okay moderation it's all right and oh, exactly. you can be more understanding instead of this whole kind of polar opposites and binging so now comes a very important question very personal very important talk me through your pizza i need to know what mr bag and tag <laughs> has in his pizza this is a very professional question on a professional answer all right well it's just look, i'm just gonna say pepperoni bang that's it it doesn't change it doesn't no extra bits that spools it pepperoni pizza that's how i like it I know what I'm going to get with it. It will sort me out. Done. What about the crust? What about the base? Where from? This is the real sort of, this is what people want to know. Oh, oh. For. you're really getting into the nitty gritty of this. Professional. <laughs> this is a very question. personal, very personal question. <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't really matter. Okay. Okay. This is, this is, this is how it goes. Um, during fight camp or before the fight, should I say, at any point when I do have a pizza, I don't tend to have it close to the fight when I'm cutting the weight. It's more, you know, eight weeks out, oh, okay, on the weekend, cheap, cheap meal or whatever. It will be like something like from Pizza Express, thin crust, but pepperoni, you know what I mean? After the fight, it has to be greasy. If, it's, if there's not sufficient grease on it, Send it, back. Uh, then it yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't, Tickle my fancy, do you, do you know what I mean? It has to be, yeah. So as greasy as possible, stuffed crust, whatever, deep pan, I don't care, man. I don't care where it's from. It's got to be greasy, you know? And um, that's the good thing about pizza shops because they're always open after a fight. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> always get one delivered. And I think the tricky thing with Pizza Express is on a diet is like the Dobles. They come out of nowhere thinking, oh, well, I'm it. It'd be rude not to. And then and so on and so forth. And you're fucking like everywhere. And here we are trying to come back down somehow. So regards to keeping <laughs> consistent, true. like without a fight booked in, are you actively competing in like jujitsu and stuff? Or is it mainly training and then try and peak at certain points? How would you like to spread out your, I don't know, calendar or such? Yeah, so I love competing, whether I'm on the mat, in the ring, in the cage. I need to compete. Um, I used the jiu-jitsu and I used the kickboxing just to keep me honest, keep me active, uh, get me out there, get that mind thinking because I can develop my skill sets. I can harness and hone in what what I'm good at. 
and also you know I can work on uh, my limitations as well so uh, I like to be as active as I can uh, that way it also keeps me disciplined because if I know I've got something like next week or in two weeks time then you know I'm going to be easier with the diet or I'm going to uh, not so much easy with the diet but I mean I'm going to eat performance food as opposed to just binging rubbish you know um as same at the same time it's like right cool I do have this uh competition coming up or I need to perform I need to train even if I'm uh um achy or tired I need to train I need to go get that work and I'll uh, systematically plan my training around the events that I have you know um 2020 hasn't been great for competition. I think, actually, this year I've only had the, just just the one fight, you know. But if you look at 2019, uh, I had uh, two two MMA fights, and I, I don't know about what nine nine jiu-jitsu competitions. Look at 2018, I had like what two or three MMA fights, um, a couple of kickboxing competitions, and again loads of uh, jiu-jitsu competitions and. It's, you know, whether it's a world championship, European championship, national championship, I'm putting myself out there, you know, and, and, and I'm grinding. So um, it's always been innate uh, to me and um, it's part of my work ethic, you know, get myself out there, give as good as I get. And, you know, I love performing. So that's me. There's a lot in that as well. And one big thing with jiu-jitsu, and I think this is something I really want to go into a lot, is how your transition from the gi and MMA and how you keep them kind of separate and when it comes to a lot of I'd say jiu-jitsu training you have you know your A and your B game like say you're passing as your A and you're playing as a B in your guard and that kind of thing do you mm. apply that kind of mindset in MMA at all do you have your kind of A game as such or is it all just one overall game and there's certain elements that are A's and B's as such um yes and no and I say yes and no because you got to take what you're given. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like if you're if you're on the back foot, you've got to find a way to whatever you know. So you just take what you get. Um, but if if you're in the driving seat, then yeah, cool. You know, I've got my my go tos, um, and uh, you know, I want to win. You know, not gen- generally speaking, when I'm doing MMA, I want to smash. Yeah, get on top, stay on top, because that's how you win. You know, you got to be the dominant. But in the dominant positions to win. When I'm doing just jiu-jitsu, it doesn't really bother me whether I'm on the top or the bottom because I can I can win on the bottom just by just by having an active guard. You know, I've won matches and I've lost matches just because you know uh, me or they were a bit more active, but it was on the bottom. You know, um, so I like I, I like mixing it up gi no gi, rolling with heel hooks. MMA sparring is all it's all the sport to me. It's all different sports, but it's all sport to me, you know, and it makes me honest. And I think having all these different areas makes me a more complete fighter. So um, in terms of the pressure, you know, I can handle it. My last fight, I walked out cool, calm, collected. It did help that there was, well, not it helped, but there was no crowd there. So what am I going to get hyped up for? <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I'm, I'm more than prepared for whatever the fight goes, whoever I'm fighting, um, you know, because it, it, we fight with our mind. It's like chess, you know, 90% theory, 10% movement. You know, well, I don't know if that's the statistic for MMA, but that's what they say about chess anyway. So I'm going to run with that. 
I mean, Tempers of movement on chess is pretty limited. It's only like a little finger flick. It's not really the whole sort of thing. Right? I'll, I'll let you get away with that. It's fine. You're the brown. Man, <laughs> me. But, when but comes... you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to, there's so much in that answer as well. Like certain things I want to pick at. So if we take the way you're saying it's all sport to you. Now, a common theme you'll find with MMA guys in jiu-jitsu tournaments is they'll say, oh, it's just jiu-jitsu. Like kind of like, it's not, it's not as intense as a fight. But the way you were sort of leveling it out, do you find you can give the individual competitions that same level of respect and same level of, I don't know, genuine concern and fear? Like, you know how you get nervous before a fight or a competition? Do you feel you can give it that sort of respect in the sense of, okay, oh, it's just jujitsu or it's just MMA, I've done this, that and the other. How do you find applying the right level of urgency, I want to say, and the right level of, I don't know, appreciation for the event? Yeah, I mean, doesn't matter what competition I'm doing, uh, I'm scared. I got those, I got the drilling surges, you know, that never changes, and that's why I put, I do as much as I can to get used to that feeling, so I can harness it in in a positive way, you know. Um, however, I am an MMA fighter. That is, you look at my profile. That's what I am, you know. Um, I am a jiu-jitsu practitioner. I'm a kickboxer as well. Yes, but they're secondary to my MMA. I use the kickboxing, I use the jiu-jitsu to help my MMA. Um, the good thing about competitions, uh, jiu-jitsu competitions, is I'm, I'm not scared of getting hurt. And I'm not. I'll, I'll go onto the mat, no gum shield, no groin box, and I'm scrapping. And I'll be scrapping against the best guys in the world, you know. I've been to Vegas for the World Championships. I've been to LA for the World Championships. Rome for the European Championships. Lisbon for the European You know, I mean... I'll go against whoever, not a problem. Uh, but I don't have that fear. One, because it is just jiu-jitsu, as, as you say. How, um, and I say it like this because with jiu-jitsu, they... It, okay, it said, it said you left. But what I'm saying is um, with jiu-jitsu, they only count your accolades. They don't count your losses, you know? Um, so in that respect, MMA means a lot more to me because if I lose, that's on my record. Everybody's going to know about it. You know, um, and that's going to affect my my opportunities. You know, uh, with jiu-jitsu, if I lose in the first round, okay, I just won't post about it. I won't get a medal. No one's going to know. You know what I mean? If I'm not on the podium, no one knows that I didn't win. You, you know, uh, but if, if you lose, then it gets filmed, goes viral, goes whatever, whatever. You know, um, so so in that that res that respect, MMA means more because it's on, it's on the record. However. Jiu-Jitsu is so much, um, uh, so important and so much so, that's why I keep doing it because I need I need to be able to uh, compete against somebody and then next round there's somebody else, next round there's somebody else, somebody else, you know what I mean? And the more I do that is the more it helps my accolade, in turn helps my MMA, which in turn helps, you know what I mean? It's literally like a cycle. The better I do uh, at this, the better I do at that, the more I do it, that the more that I'm known, the more that I'm known, more sponsorship opportunity, more sponsorship opportunity. The better I can train, the more I can train, the better I can compete. The better I do it, in my competition. You know, more clients or followers I get. X Y. You know, it's all part and parcel of, of the same thing, and I treat it as such. So it's all important to me. Well, again, it's like that saying, what's it, rising tide floats all boats and that kind of thing. It's that kind of, as long as you build up who you are as that fighter and build up your skill set, it then creates these platforms and builds that sort of structure. 
Now with that though, how do you find coming out of that mindset of doing certain things to improve everything else that again, if you're spending time doing jiu-jitsu and the gi specifically, you're not doing your kickboxing, you're not doing your MMA, you're doing gi jiu-jitsu. And then it's a case of trying to do a balancing act after the fact. Do you ever just fall in love with jiu-jitsu a bit too much, start spinning around thinking I can't do that in MMA? Like how do you feel <laughs> that divide and stuff? And how do you like, I don't know, like do you just have times and periods where you just go all in on one thing? Do you have like an even spread throughout your week? Mm. What's the usual kind of like layout for that? Yes. Yeah, so gen- genuinely, um, I like to even it out. So I, I still, I st- I'm still working on my sparring, still working on my, my kickboxing, still working on my SNC, still working on my jiu-jitsu, you know, still working on my uh, ground and pound grappling to keep me well-rounded and keep me balanced. However, that changes with who I'm fighting or what I have to prepare for, you know. Um, so it doesn't mean I don't, I'll stop everything else. It just means that I'll spend a bit more time on, on, on other areas. And then when, when it's done, it will kind of even back itself back out again. Uh, one thing for me, um, recently in the last two years, I've been really focusing on getting my uh, jiu-jitsu black belt. So I've been doing a lot more jiu-jitsu um, in the gi and no gi. You know, uh, if it wasn't for this pandemic, you know, I would have really gearing to get it by the end of the year. But uh, it looks highly, highly unlikely because the last three months I haven't really been doing anything compared to how much I was doing before. You know, I used to train, I say like past tense, like I don't do it. You know, when things are up and running, I'm training twice a day, uh, four or five times a week, like for the fight camps, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm always active, always training, you know. Um, but yeah, my goal is to get my jiu-jitsu black belt. So uh, I'm, I'm putting more time and emphasis in that training and in that competition. Now, with that being said, there's a lot in that I really want to go into. I've said that quite a few times because there's a lot of interesting things you said. But when it comes to the defi- the distinction you made between why jiu-jitsu is important and why MMA is important, and why they have different elements in them you really sort of appreciate... Jiu-Jitsu, you have the accolade, you have the lack of a record, you can have a bit more fun with it. But then you have like the belt system. And now, what does that black belt mean to you? Because, again, the spectrum of black belts could be hobbyists who stick at it for a long time, it could be world champions, it could be anything in between. How do you find having that Yeah, I think for me, the black belt... Yeah, I mean, having that black belt is is a symbol, you know, and it's a symbol not so much, well, for yourself. Yes, that's why we do it. We do it for ourselves, but it's also a symbol for everybody else to show them your dedication and your skill level. You know, uh, jiu-jitsu is very well-respected art. Um, and, you know, uh, you, you don't see... F- legit black belts no one has a bad word to say about them they all whether they win or lose or whatever it's like oh they're a black belt you know so uh i just want my name in that mix i don't want to have i shouldn't have to uh, prove myself all the time to people that just walk in the gym or may see my name online oh yeah but he's not a black belt you know i want to get rid of all that um i'm not saying that i get it a lot it's just sometimes it could happen and you know i just want to be like yeah cool Rob at that stage and 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 I've reached the point where the journey can begin and that's what it is it's a journey and it only starts when you get that black belt you know um and I think for me uh that's that's what I'd like to do but also for my business as well you know uh, I want to move on um 
who knows, start start my own school. You know, the options are there. But I, I love teaching. I love coaching. I love training and competing. So this is going to open a can of worms now. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions now. And I want you to think about how to answer these. So when it comes to this kind of external factor of the way you're being perceived, is your perception by the, sorry, is your, the way you're being perceived by other people quite important to you? And when it comes to building this brand, you need to have that kind of awareness for how you're being seen and the sense of what you said there, that people will not under respect, but undervalue your jujitsu because you haven't got that black belt, even though you're competing at the certain levels you are. And on top of that, you then mentioned earlier that the mentality is a huge part of your development anyway as a whole throughout your professional career. So how do you find that balance with dealing with people's perception of you versus giving yourself that value and that sort of somewhere, that middle ground somewhere? Mm. So in terms of my perception, you know, it, it, in the main, it doesn't really bother me because I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And those that know me or knows uh, the the circuits that I'm competing on know my pedigree and know my level. However, that's a minority in, in the wider society, you know. And as a business or as a coach, you know, having that black belt, I believe, will break down a lot of the barriers to getting that client, for example, or within that business, you know. Because um, if you had a choice between you going to learn from this person or this person, you're going to go to the person that you feel is more experienced. And that black belt will, will, will show that, you know. And I think for me, um, I want to get my black belt when the time's right. But, I, you know, I'm doing it for me um, as a martial artist. But then at the same time, I want to do it for me. So when I am teaching and I am coaching, it's... it's uh, uh, um a way to certify to um to moderate my skill level you know that nobody can argue with uh, as such you know um jiu-jitsu is very popular and there's a lot of people doing it there's a lot of people that want to learn so uh you, you know um you've got to be in it to win it so uh that's yeah that, that's, that's why i want to do it you know and with that then that's it makes a lot of sense with that kind of business model and sense of people who are experienced will know the value of training with someone purple belt and above. That's sort of like, okay, you know their experience, you know they know what they're on about. And again, the finer details, the higher up is fair enough. But to a complete layman, brand new white belt, they think, okay, he's a black belt, he knows everything. And that's going to be like their initial perception, their sort of, you know, the casual. And it is very important to appeal to the casual because that's where the most of the money comes from. It's not from the training the elite of elite which is the ideal world but no your brand new spazzy white belt so where your money's at but that's a different conversation yes but when it comes to um <laughs> your own perception there because what you were saying about how it sort of certifies your i know that recognition i feel of okay i am at this level this is just a little reminder to everyone else i'm at this level do you then feel you'll have pressure on top of that to then continue to validate this because at the minute it sounds like you're almost like an underdog in the sense of okay I'm being undervalued for the work I'm putting in and results I'm getting. So people will sleep on me thinking I'm not at that level. But once you achieve that level, do you feel you'll lose that hunger to then prove them wrong if they already know the case? 
No, no, I don't. And if anything, it will make me even more hungry because that's when it starts. That's when the learning starts. And, you know, if, I, if I'm at this level, then I need to be able to, to back it up. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think it's it's a process and one that will, does take time. And it's a goal of mine. And because I've got that goal, I want to. I want to do it. I'm gonna give give it my all to, to to get it. You know, but um, that's only gonna unlock me for the next level. And the next level is it's a, it's a big, big, deep, deep ocean out there. You know what I mean? And I can't wait to get my hands stuck in, get my hands dirty. You know, um, even where I'm at now. Don't get me wrong. I love it. You know, I love it. When I got my brown belt, it, you know, it, it unlocks a whole new pathways and options for me you know and lots of different opportunities and uh, I'm excited as a practitioner as a coach to to unlock more opportunities you know um pretty much but uh, no I, I I wouldn't see it as achieve it and then done I'll see it as achieve it and keep going you know and that, that's something really important when it comes to people achieving these sort of significant goals in that it's not the end like this is a point of reflection. Think, oh, look at all I've done. Now, what's that? What else is there to do at this point onwards, and keep on sort of striving? And the way you answer this from different perspectives is you as the practitioner, you as the coach, you as the businessman, you as the fighter. And the businessman and fighter are meant to be separate aspects intentionally, because again, you can go in there and fight, but you can also get paid afterwards. That's a different conversation. But anyway, when it comes to your mentality throughout this whole thing and having that kind of perception, and also you're saying mentality is a huge part of your composure and sort of managing of all these things. How have you developed that? Is it something you found internally? Is it something you've reached out for? Is it somewhere you found from somewhere else entirely? Where have you developed your mindset from? Um, I've developed my mindset through my life experience, you know, growing up with, um, I've had to ha have resilience, you know, um, little things like trying to better myself at, at, at uh, university, trying to better myself at work, trying to get that promotion, all, all these things. And then taking it into the the fight game, it's like, do you want to win or you'll lose? Do you want to be safe or do you want to get hurt? You, you, you know, so it's always been right, cool. I, I want to win or yeah, I want to learn or I want to um, be safe. So I'm always trying to, trying to do those things, you know. Um, just, just, just working. At the same time, I love playing sports, and martial arts is is, is a sport. You know, um, we all want to win, so I'm always constantly putting myself out there trying to win, trying to get my kicks and you know learn and get better. And it's quite addictive. It's a, it's a, it, you know, I've got that hunger to learn, hunger to be better, strive. Um, to be the best that I can be, which is what martial arts say, you know, martial arts is all about finding enlightenment, you know, combat sports is all about being the best, being the champion, you know. Um, so a part of me is me in the system of the sport. And another part is just me living life as I have been doing and taking myself out of reality and put myself on that, that platform, whether it's the mat, the ring, the cage, where it's okay to lose. Do you know what I mean? Uh, try it. Lose? Okay, cool. That's just feedback. All right, I'm going to go do it again. You know, and I think for me, it's easier to put myself out in a martial arts sense because if I lose, life goes on. I've still got, 
you know, all the good things um, back home, you know. Um, and I think the more we can dust ourselves off, get back on that horse, go again, set yourself more goals, will help us in the, in, in the real world um, with motivation, with that resilience, uh, with that ambition to, you know, work towards something. And in that, oh, it's the wording in that was really important. I feel in that treating it like a sport, you're getting that benefit of okay, I'm getting the competition, but it's not that personal. As honest as the sport will make you, and as humble and broken down and the rest of it, you take it personally. But as a whole, you're taking it as okay. This was the match. This is the result. This isn't the fight, and you lost and you won. This is okay. I did. I did. I win or did I lose the match? Okay, cool. Reassess, and you can not take it as personal in that sense like treating it as what it is in that sense and on top of that as a whole the reason why i really want to go into your mindset side of things because it's always a fine line between being honest with yourself like self-deprecate self-deprecating when it comes to oh i need to improve this that and the other this isn't that great but also staying confident and ambitious because it's always a bit of a back and forth of i'm going to be confident i'm going to be the best in the world but also, I'm nowhere near where I need to be, so I need to work. And then there's some middle ground of, okay, I'm ambitious, mm. but I'm also prepared to learn. I'm coachable, but I'm also confident. And it's that kind of figuring it out as such. So this is where that kind of comes from. And now to sort of turn it on a coaching's head. So our mutual friend, um, Andrew Henderson. So he came to you for um, his fame MMA fight. How did you find preparing him for that kind of stage of a fight as well? Because when it comes to like your own fighters obviously they haven't got the same amount of eyes on them as a sort of spectator event for someone people people quite high profile how did you find that process as such without trying to burn them out and trying to structure for like a smaller time frame yeah it was it was uh, easy to be fair um because of andrew because he was coachable he is hard working he wants to learn and he wanted to win do you know what I mean? So in that respect, he is probably like my ideal client, somebody who's going to turn up and do what you tell him. You know, um, initially I was like, like, are you sure? Are you ready for a fight? Are you sure? You know, this ain't no walk in the park. He was like, no, I'm down. I'm like, all right, all right. So uh, we, we did a couple of sessions and I, I tried to make him quit, to be fair. You know, uh, gave it to him as hard as I could. Um, not not in a spiteful way, but in a way where it's constructive. Like mm. these are your holes, and we need to make sure that you're prepared to work at those holes because otherwise, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And I made sure I showed him X, Y, and Z again and again and again. You know, uh, I didn't take it easy on him. Um, and to be fair to him, he came back, he learned, tightened it up, and every you know after about three or four sessions, I was like, all right, cool. We've got enough time for you to get ready because um, with it, all the commitment he was showing, the desire um, and, and his hunger as well because he's a, he's a sportsman himself. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? All the things I was just saying about sport, he had that. So I was like, all right, cool, man. He, um, and he has a lot of transferable skills from his freestyle football. Do you know what I mean? That he's brought straight over into the fighting. So it made it a lot easier to, to, to coach him. And yeah, I mean, really enjoyable sessions to the point where by the time we're getting ready for the fight, I'm getting training in as well because, 
You know, he's fit, he's strong, he's learning the moves. So it's not just a, a given. I had to think, I had to switch on. And, you know, I reckon, like, he could have fought 10 of those guys in that night but at the standard he, he got himself to. So kudos to him. He's an incredible guy. Um, I want to say this to his face, by the way. I say it's insane. But a lovely guy, man, and a really good athlete as well. So, uh, you know, hopefully after this pandemic, he'll get another opportunity to, to perform, you know. And, um, yeah, if he comes to me, then great, we'll get some work in and we'll carry on where we left off and move it on forward. Now, his, his ears must be burning because as you started talking about it, my phone pinged up and it's from him saying, love it, my coach coached me for my fame fight, helped me so much. I thought that was quite a nice little timing of that. But again, I think it's really interesting. Oh, did you say that? Just now, literally, as you started talking about it, that's pretty weird. But um, with that in itself, it's really interesting the way you were describing that. And I said that a few times, but I mean it, especially with this instance, because when it comes to the reality of it, the honesty, because a lot of people who want to, especially amateurs, they see MMA, think, oh, sick, this is the guy in Cage Wars. Look at that. He's having his moment. It's awesome. But the training side of, okay you're getting found out by your training partners, you're getting a bit battered, you're getting a bit sort of taken down there, you've got these holes, you think, okay, maybe I need to work on that. And it's so important to have that kind of time in the gym to understand that, to then work on it instead of just sort of, oh, you're a celebrity, oh, we're going to make sure you're all good, make sure you're fit and doing your weights, thinking, yeah, no, you need to, if you're going to fight, you need to fight. You need to work it out. <laughs> and it's important yeah. to actually find yeah. that balance with that. No, for sure, because... Well, there's a saying in, in uh, jiu-jitsu, and it rings true for all combat sports. Ego is not your amigo, you know? And it's on, on, honest to God, ego is not your amigo. Anyone that has an ego, they'll find out very, very soon, or sooner rather than later, that there's always a bigger fish. Or or somebody will be ready for when you're not, you know? Because we, we are all entitled to a bad day. Uh, we all do have bad days, you know, so it's, it's, we're, martial artists are, are humble people because um, you have to be for those reasons I've just given, but also because we're learning, we're, we're trying to help each other. When we're in the gym, we are preparing, we are practicing, we are helping each other learn and to get better. Uh, it's when we're out on competition on the, on the stage, um, that's when it's, it, it, you know, um, is ride or die, uh, for use of a better word, uh, term, you know. Uh, but in the gym, that's 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 the learning. So if you want to make mistakes, make them in the gym. Make as many as you can. The more mistakes you can make, the better it's going to be. And I said this to Andrew. I was like, look, we make the mistakes here. We find out where we're good, where we're not good here, you know. Um, and then we have fun. We have fun in the cage. He's your ride or die, homie. That's what we want. I think ride or die is a bit gang. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll do that. So now, now when it, on the same sort of subject, and this is more for like, I don't know, amateurs as well. Like when it comes to people's first fights and say with Andrew specifically there for an example, finally, so you found the balance of, okay, you need to push him, make sure he can handle a bit of pressure, make sure he can handle these things. And then it's a case of building him for that event. What was the initial plan regards building a fight plan in, a game plan as such was it just spar and see what he likes to do and build on that was it build something in advance and then see if it fits that mold what was your i don't know planning at that point yeah so when he first came to me he he wasn't ready for a fight and i'll be honest i said um i said it to him uh, all the other coaches that said it to him like look 
you know, you're you need another six months and then you might be ready. You know, do you know what I mean? And he's like, okay, took it. But he said, look, this opportunity's come. He wants to do it. I'm like, all right, cool. So then we we did a couple of sessions. Uh, first one, I just wanted to see what he had, you know, uh, and then I was moving around with him and stuff. And then we, we looked at who he's got to fight and we, we explored uh, where his strengths are and where his opponent's strengths were. So we broke it right down. And from about, after about two or three sessions where I knew he was committed, uh, he started, he just soared. Literally, he was like a sponge, just absorbing all the, uh, all the information I gave. Um, we broke it right down. I said, look, you're weak here because this could happen. That could happen. X, Y, and Z. So this is what you need to do. So we went over and over head control, wrist control, um, uh, heavy hips, you know, um, shoulder pressure, all the, the, the fundamental things, good base. Um, we, I just drilled it in on him, drilled it in, and we drilled it, drilled it, repeated it, did it this way, did it that way, got sparring partners in, and we literally just um, bastardized the drills. You know, by the end of it, I was probably bored of it. But he was tight, and I know he was tight because I could see, like, say from the beginning of the session, he would... Who, uh, beginning of the fight camp, whoever he was training with, okay, cool, whatever. But by the end of his fight camp, and he'll go and train with those people, it was a different story to the point where I didn't even say anything. Coaches were coming up to me and was like, Nathan, wow, wow. And I was like, well, of course, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> but no, no, on a, on a serious note, I was like, I know. I, I was pleasantly surprised. And it was great because we went out there and I had full confidence in him, you know, um, because I committed myself to him as a coach. From one side, from when he said, look, we're doing it, he wants to do it. I said, all right, cool. We're going to do it then. Um, we commit, we made that pledge to each other. We committed to each other. And if I told him to do something, he, he, he would do it. And I, you know, not just do it for me there and then. He'd go out train somewhere else or do it in his own time he, he really did put the work in you know um and as a coach what more can you ask for somebody who wants to learn who's receptive to your your feedback and will make the necessary um changes and amendments to get it right and not only that when it comes to to showtime able to perform you know so he put his name on on his performance and I'm 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 privileged to be able to be there as part of his journey in that in that time. I mean, it is the perfect storm of someone to train with, isn't it? Someone who's athletic and coachable. I mean, what more do you want at that point? I mean, like all the um cardio and the rest of that kind of stuff. That's not even on the radar. It's like okay, take the flexibility and the strength and the rest. But you know, that's 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 fine. Just listen to what I do. Do it, and that is really you know. I mean, it's definitely a relationship of two sides. It's also you know your commitment to one another to make it work. And I think this is where people try and jump the gun on this, where they try and have a fight just to whatever gym they can find without finding the people who want want it from them as well as they want it. And this kind of mutual understanding to be on the same wavelength. Now, with that in itself, then, like, I don't know. It's just an interesting concept because, again, you've got this whole, you know, the what sort of white collar fights like that, but got a huge sort of like stage in this kind of thing. And this is where it's quite interesting. So when you have these, I don't know, building people up from scratch then, like say without that kind of one-to-one -one kind of treatment, 
how would you like to build up your beginners? Is it a case of you just stick them in and see where the holes are? Is it a case of you just, I don't know, see how they fit in the system? That's a good question. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, and I've done a lot of podcasts over lockdown and no one's asked me this, so I like this question. Um, everybody's different, first and foremost. All right. We've all got different skills and we all learn differently. Um, and the jo- my job as a coach is to recognise that, recognise people's willingness to, to learn. Sorry, not willingness to learn. Everyone's got willingness to learn, but uh, their, their readiness for the next step you know or or to take them out of this or to focus them on that you know so that's my job as a coach but also to listen to what they want to do as well so I treat everybody differently um and I can relate because I was this this you know this guy fresh off the gym just walks off the street started you know that was me 10 years ago um doing the same process so I know this process you know um you've just got to take it at a time don't move somebody on until they're ready, you know? So the best way to look at it is if you're training, only when you can beat everybody in that training, then are you ready to move on? You know, whether you go to a, a different gym or you do a different discipline or, or, or you do whatever, but, you know, that that is your, that is your, um, that's a really good indicator. So... I, I use it like that. So I was just throwing people at him, throwing people at him um, and, and honing it in. And then with, with anybody else, I'll be doing that. Okay, cool. I'll set you a challenge. Now I want you to try and do the moves that we did last week. And if you can, great. And then I can show you something else. Or, you, you know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. But um, we've got, as a coach, you've got to be aware who's uh, ready for that. Because not everybody that comes into the gym or that's on the mat wants the same thing. Some people just want to train literally just for self-defense or as a hobby. Other people just want to do a couple of times a week after work or you know what I mean? Whatever. Some people do actually want to progress and they'll show you that they want to because, because they've got the, the, you know, the right attitude. So uh, I, I just take it on a case by case basis and I don't build anyone up too quick. And um, I just, I just let the wind, let the wind take, take them where they want to go, you know. And I'll, I'll just give them that, that push, or I'll give them the, the guidance, you know. Um, yeah, and it just normally just falls into place. I mean, again, it's important the way you're answering these things as well, because things not being one size fits all and appreciating that. I think that's a huge difference between a trainer and a coach. And appreciate when you've got a group of people, you've got the amateur prospects, you've got the hobbyists, you've got the dads after work, you've got, you know, a mix of people. And you sort of think, okay, if I do everyone, get everyone to do shark tanks, the hobbyists won't stick around. If I get everyone to do touch button yeah. park, the um, prospects won't stick around. Then, okay, if we get a fundamental system and then sort of, like, how, where do you leave the responsibility for them reaching out? So, you know, if you have like a seminar, for example, and you say, anyone, any questions and, you probably won't get any because no one ever asks questions at seminars for some fucking reason. But then you sort of know, okay, here's the question you should have asked and here's the answer I'm going to give you. Like, where do you draw the line of being proactive in the sense of waiting for them to ask the questions or do you fill in the gaps in most of the instances? Um, well, analysis, really. Mm. You watch people train, you watch how they listen, you watch 
um, how quickly they pick up things or how difficult they're making it for other people. Sorry, difficult in the sense of being really good. You know, you know what I mean? Not difficult, like just making it difficult to learn, but difficult. If you give your partners a hard time, well then if they're getting ready for a fight, wouldn't you like to do that? You know what I mean? And give people the option. So for Elevate Martial Arts and Strength, I'm the, the fight coach. And that's what I'll be doing. I'll be watching people. Um, different opportunities will come up, but maybe it's an interclub. So before you go for a fight, a full contact fight, you're going to do an interclub first. Do you know what I mean? Or, or a jiu-jitsu competition. That's the base level. So I try and get as many people as I can to, to do that because, you know, that's, that's one way of knowing how good you are. Or, or how how good um, how much you're you're taking it in because we'll get you you get used to your training partners you know what they do they know what you do and you're you're getting better to together but if you can go out there and compete against somebody completely uh, alien to you you don't know what they're good at you don't know what their their coaches teach them and you're able to perform then well, then you know that you're at a certain level and with this whole uh, ethos of martial arts becoming the best you can be the ethos of uh, it being a sport you want to win you know it just naturally takes you there as long as you can put the time in then it will just fall into place because I'll be always looking at people uh, analysing uh, uh, their practice at the same time preparing other people uh, for their competitions and when we're in the gym, we're a team and we all help each other out. And, you know, uh, the opportunities come to the people that want them. I guess that's really important there because you're giving the, them an opportunity to really stand out if they want it, okay? Interclub, jiu-jitsu comp, those kind of things are like, you know, low risk, kind of medium reward. You think, okay, I go there, you might get a couple of bruises, but you've been tested, you've got experience under pressure, you're a bit more like, okay... This is, you know, Tom Dick or Harry, I always spar with. He always does the same takedown and the same combination. This is, I don't know, Joe Bloggs from Joe Bloggs Jiu-Jitsu. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what his, um, <laughs> that's his sort of techniques are. You don't know how to react and, you know, where his holes are. So that gives you that pure competition aspect. And when it comes to, I don't know, outside of the gym. So when it comes to people that fight camps, and again, you know, it doesn't sort of stop at the gym. It's the food you eat, it's the runs, it's everything else and the programming. How involved are you in their kind of camps? Is a lot of you give them help when they're in the gym and then they kind of build their own way of doing it? How do you like to let people build their fight camps who you um, coach as well? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'll be in, as involved as they want me to be or I need to be, you know, depending on what the competition is. If it's just a, an entry level competition, um, I don't need to be that much involved because it's about just getting yourself out of their feet first and then we can pick it up and, and, and make, make use of it, you know. Um, other people, um, it will be a lot more structured. Say, for example, it's a full contact um, competition with a wrist surreal and or depending if they've got to prepare for somebody specifically. So if it's a fight, well, then it's just one person we need to prepare for, you know. Um if it's just like a general competition where it's somebody else each round. And like I was saying about the records and stuff, that doesn't really matter because more of a learning experience. So then, yeah, just make sure your weight's good. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mentor people with their, their program. 
their, their training program. Uh, that could, depending on what they're doing, it could be, I want to see them three times a week doing this. Or if it's MMA, you do, you got to do this, you got to do some uh, of that or to do some of this, you know, uh, I'll prepare um, or monitor the sparring, organize the sparring. I'll be watching that, looking at your, your diet, if you've got to make the weight, looking at your SNC, if you're flagging, you know, um, I generally I try not to be too involved because I've got fights myself. Uh, secondly, it, it, you know, it, it's personal to, it's personal to people. There are other coaches and there are other specialists out there. One, they may be more experienced than me or two, they may be, um, have better availability than me or three, they may just click differently with, with, with other people. But I'm okay with that because there's lots of different fighters and, you know, every fighter has got more than one coach. So uh, I'll be working with the other coaches as well. And we were working towards the result, which is getting that W. So, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And that in itself, it's almost like not trying to be a helicopter parent and trying to say, okay, the priority isn't me getting the attention of, but look, I'm the coach, the case of, okay, if they get the result, that's the priority. And trying to have that distinction and that kind of, I don't know, that self-awareness, I think is really important for a student to have that kind of, okay, my coach wants the best for me. So prime example with Andrew, like you didn't have to get him to do certain things. You knew full well, you ask him to do anything, you haven't got to chase him, you know it's his fight and you're helping him get there. And you're not in the sort of, in the interview saying, all his interviews butted in and said, oh, just let you know, I'm Nathan Jones, here, nice to meet you. Um, so yeah, what well, I did everything. <laughs> you sort of, you know, you're in the pictures, you give them a nod. People know, you know, your input. You don't need to make it all about you when you're in these sort of situations. But one thing you briefly touched on there, which I think was something I, I didn't think to ask you about. But when it comes to jujitsu, obviously you don't really know your opponents. You can Facebook stalk the brackets, but you just sort of have to go with your game and then go from there. And MMA, you know in advance, you plan around their specific style. How do you find that distinction? Mm -hmm. How do you find building an MMA game when you're not used to that in a jiu-jitsu front? Or do you have a specific... I don't know. What is your competition approach for the both of them then? Um, well, for me, it's about thinking a bit... I think about my fight, and that's what it is. It's not a fight, it's my fight. So I think about what I'm going to bring to the table, what my skills are, where my strengths lie. And it's about, about being as tight as possible. Um, as an amateur, it's, it's a lot harder to, to know your opponent than it is as a professional. Because, as you know, me, if I look at my opponent now, they'll have at least 10 fights. So five of them are probably on YouTube already. Do you, do you know what I mean? And this, that and the other. But as an amateur, if you haven't had a fight, well, then how's he, how are you going to find footage of them? Do, do you know what I mean? So it's all about your mindset and, and it being your fight, um, how, how I like to, to look at it. In the main, you can get a gist of what people are like, whether it's their body type, whether it's they do have like a, a record or the gym that they've come from, you know, what their skills are. But um, as long as you've got all the bases covered, you should be all right and have a good experience, you know. I mean, that is really important. And most important question of the podcast. Actually, there was two. First most important question is cheesecake. We touched on pizza very in depth. 
but cheesecake what is a cheesecake talk to me hey, oh my god like i haven't had a cheesecake in a while i love cheesecake there's no getting around it that is my vice and that is my celebratory meal and that is also my meal of uh commiserations as well so whether i win or lose i'm always getting the cheesecake um new york cheesecake's my favorite less is more do you know what i mean um but yeah i love any any type of cheesecake all types of cheesecake um yeah i just love cake but it's a treat for me and it's not something i have all the time and that's why i love it so much um i can have it and then not have it for a while and then whenever I do, it just makes me feel better. It hits those endorphins in the right in the right place, you know. Um, you can't go wrong with a cheesecake. Do you know what I mean? Everyone listening on audio, Nathan's got the biggest smile on his face right now. Now, <laughs> the second most important question of the podcast, where can people find you on the old social media, my friend? Yeah, so my fight, uh, handle is uh, at Mr. Bag and Tag. And my coach handle is... In the bag, PTC. I like that quite a lot. Today's episode was brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on MaulerMMA.com.